Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me for one last time here in the Betters Box, ATS.io's MLB betting podcast. I'm your host, Adam Burke. This is the Betters Box for Thursday, July 29th. Make sure you head on over to ATS.io. Check out my daily article, which you can find over there at the website. Landing page with links to the picks for that day. Thoughts on the other games as well. Got that up here for Thursday. We'll put that up for Friday. One more time on Saturday here as my time with ATS.io will come to an end on Saturday. Make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. It's a bet tracker, odd screen, stats database, all kinds of helpful handicapping tools and resources in that ATS app for you to check out. Make sure you look at my other content over at ATS.io as well. I put together kind of modified the power ratings page so that it can live on after my time at ATS is finished. Also some thoughts on the offensive and defensive coordinator changes for the upcoming college football season. Some of my favorite season win totals, a link to my season win total spreadsheet is in those win total pieces as well. So you can check that out over at ATS.io. All right. Well, this is it. A fond farewell here on today's show. This is the 1,500th and five, well, it's, it's I, the number is so unbelievable that I can't even get it out here. The 1,584th podcast that I've done between Bang the Book and ATS. And a lot of people I want to thank here. So if you can bear with me at the start of today's show here. First and foremost, a thank you to Ryan. Sent me a cold email after I had been doing a podcast with my good friend, Matt Lindemann, uh, for Beyond the Bets. Sent me an email, asked if I wanted to do something like that for Bang the Book. The rest has been history here. It's been a phenomenal run, something I'm very, very proud of, something that I feel like I've accomplished here in my life, in my career. Over over 1,500 episodes is a lot of episodes. I'll talk a little bit more about that here in a couple of minutes. But first, so many people that I need to thank here. And, And as I said, Ryan, at the top for getting me in with Bang the Book and everything that has happened since then. But obviously, major thanks go out to my dude, Kyle Hunter. We've become excellent friends through doing the show. When I first started a college football podcast for Bang the Book, uh, there was a pick-selling side to Bang the Book at that time. Kyle was one of the handicappers. All I really had to go off of was a picture and said, you know what, this guy's around my age, probably should be able to have some pretty good back and forth about college football. And not only did it blossom into a great show, but Kyle's also become one of my best friends not just in this business, but overall as a whole. So obviously I have to thank him for all of his contributions, both on the written side and then also doing segments here on the show with me. And I know that our friendship will absolutely live on. I'm not sure how often we'll get the chance to work together. I hope that we do, but you know, a phenomenal guy, a great handicapper, a great friend to me. And we've had a lot of good chats both on air and off the air. So I know Kyle will be listening to this and I greatly appreciate his friendship and everything that he's done for me. Brad Powers and I also great friends, you know, phenomenal guests to have on the shows here talking college football and the NFL Uh, did meet him independent of the show, but was able to get him on the show and, you know, uh, really develop a, a strong friendship with him. And, you know, one of my most respected colleagues here in this business. So thanks as always to Brad Powers, so many other people, uh, Brian blessing, you know, a guy that, also, I've become very close with here, wind up doing his show here later this afternoon, but he's been a tremendous help to me with this podcast. Wes Reynolds, a guy that I used to have on every Wednesday with the daily shows, 
Um, you know, obviously his career has gone on to bigger and better things, but always great to work with him. Ralph Michaels and Brian Leonard, the guys from over at wagertalk.com. And, you know, Brian is somebody that really helped me along in this industry more than a decade ago now. Heard him on Chad Millman's uh, The Odds podcast. Thought this guy's talking way too much about the Cleveland Browns. So wound up reaching out to Brian and he's become you know more pretty much a mentor to me in this industry. So uh, very happy to call him a friend and was very happy to have him on the show as often as he was. And same thing with Ralph Michaels, you know, kind of keeping with that Cleveland connection there. Uh, Ralph, a guy that's helped me out tremendously as well. So thank you to him for all the times that he hopped on the show with me to talk all things sports betting. We would talk NBA, college basketball, college football, NFL, all kinds of good stuff uh, with all of those guests that I've mentioned here so far. Kev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers, uh, you know, guy that's also become a very good friend of mine. Thank you to him for, you know, always being a supporter of the show, tweeting about the shows, liking the shows, retweeting the posts, everything that he's done. Uh, a phenomenal friend, and he's got a great site over at the Odds Breakers, and I encourage you to check that out if you haven't already. Cole Ryan, you know, doesn't work for uh, Bang the Book anymore, but I started with the NFL podcast with him. We had joint entries in the Super Contest, got to talk a lot about what we were doing on the NFL side. So thanks to Cole, whatever he's doing out there nowadays. Brent from DSI, Joe Everett, Tony George, all the people that came on this show did guest spots from various blogs, various websites, whether it was with Bang the Book or ATS. My heartfelt thanks go out to all of you for your time, for your efforts, for taking this seriously, for making my job very, very easy on the show here. And then, you know, I don't know how many people know this, but along with doing the podcast and being a lead writer, you know, over at Bang the Book, I was in charge of the writers. You know, I was putting together a content team, doing a lot of things with them. So a long list of people here as well. Parker Michaels, Rich Lamons, Jonathan Willis, Admir Algic, David LaFerrier, John Ryan, uh, Big Ted Watto, Kelly Garrett, who does a phenomenal job on the tennis side. Manitoba Money, Doug, he did some good NBA stuff for us. Corey Paps, Danny Vorgs. Andrew Howard, Aram Tolegian, Alex Christensen, who now you know from Brown Bag Bets over on Vetsperts, more commonly known as Noops. James Mazzola did great golf work for us. Fabian Suma did some great stuff on the NFL side. Uh, Ken Barkley, who you know better as Lockie Lockerson from You Better You Bet. Uh, Lockie used to write for Bang the Book, did some college football stuff for us, uh, did some NFL stuff as well, and some static content about betting strategies and all of that. Uh, great handicapping and betting mind. I'm really happy to see where he's gone in his career. Chris Wassel, Charles J., Christian Pina, a lot of people with a lot of contributions on the writing side over at Bang the Book and then also at ATS. So uh, thank you to all of them as well. And of course, thanks to my wife. You know, I mean, anybody who's in this business knows this, that this is a seven day a week thing. I mean, there are no holidays, there are no weekends. And, you know, she's always been understanding of, me having to go to work, you know, go to work on trips, uh, worked on our honeymoon, worked on our the morning of our wedding day. Uh, you know, I a couple of times got to go to Punta Cana and I would leave the pool trying to stay as sober as possible and go back to the room and, and record a podcast, you know, an NFL podcast with Cole or a college football one with Kyle. And she's always been understanding of that, you know, trying to sneak out of bed on weekends to get my morning work done without working her up or without waking her up, excuse me. So uh, you know, failed at that a lot, but uh, thanks to my wife, Jennifer, who's always been by my side through this wild ride and will hopefully continue to be there for all of the upcoming adventures that we have. But finally, and most importantly here, 
a thank you to the readers and the listeners of all of the work that I've done here with Bang the Book and ATS. As I said, the 1,584th podcast that I've done for Bang the Book and ATS. No, I don't know what number it is for the betters box, but you know, we were one of the first shows to go every day here in this betting space. And the saturation in the market and increased supply and increased demand, you know, maybe took away some of the listeners, maybe in some respects kind of took away some of the industry prestige of this show. But none of that ever took away the importance of what I felt we were doing and and what I wanted to achieve with the show. I never wanted this to be, oh, here's our picks, you know, X, Y, and Z, and here's why you should take them. You know, we talked about the process. We talked about the mental side of handicapping. We talked about the differences between handicapping and betting, the bankroll management concepts, futures markets across all of the different sports. You know, we really strived to put out content that helped people learn how to bet. I never wanted to tell what to, I never wanted to tell people what to bet. I wanted to tell people how to bet. I wanted to tell people how they could try to best position themselves for some success here in this business. And sometimes we failed and sometimes we didn't. But, you know, I think that one of the constants with this show has been the level of respect that it has had. And I've had a lot of listeners here of the the podcast content that have been around for a long time. Maybe not all 1,584 episodes, but 1,000 of them, 1,200 of them. You know, we've had some very long-term listeners here of this show. And I've got so much love and appreciation for everybody that has helped along the way. And that includes every listener, every reader, every supporter. Everybody who's ever reached out, you know, if I've had, maybe there was some sort of tough time in my life and I've I've had absolute strangers reach out to me and, you know, with emails, with, with words of support, all of that, whether it was on Twitter or, you know, like I said, via email, Uh, you know, I, I couldn't have done it without any of the people that I've mentioned here so far. And without the collective group of the listeners and readers here of my content and each and every one of you has made me a better person, a better handicapper, a better better. Help me learn things. Help me mature as a host to let me know what works and what doesn't. To help me improve as a writer. Just in general, I'm so grateful for everything and everyone that has been a part of this journey for me. And I started with Bang the Book all the way back in 2013. And it's it was a long time to be in one place. And, you know, added the ATS stuff here towards the end. But I've had the opportunity to build something special and build something unique. And, and I hope that a lot of what I've talked about, a lot of the content that I've written lives on forever. But specifically with regards to the betters box here and to my baseball coverage in general, I especially want to thank all of the readers and listeners for being open-minded to these advanced concepts the advanced stats, the analytics, sabermetrics. It's not an easy transition. And it's especially difficult to try and comprehend and and sort of understand the depth of this stuff in audio form. You know, maybe reading it, you kind of can go back if there's something you don't realize or, you know, can look something up and then come back to it, whatever else. But I know that a lot of people that listen to this show 
listen on the go, you know, on the, in the car, on a run, in the gym, whatever else. And these are difficult concepts to understand. And I greatly appreciate that everybody took the time to try and understand them that, you know, stuck with it. And so here on the last show, the last edition here of the betters box, my last podcast for who knows how long I just wanted to pass along these thoughts and, and say that it took way more than just me to, to get all of this done. And I love and respect everybody that has been a part of it. I'm so grateful for the relationships and the friendships that I've developed through all of this. I will announce my new landing spot when the time is right, when I can, when it makes sense to do that. But again, I just, uh, I know it's been kind of long and rambly, but there, there are a lot of people that have positively impacted my life while, while writing and recording and all of this stuff. And, and each and every one of the listeners out there will, has a special place in my heart. So thank you so much for that. I really do truly appreciate it. And uh, you know, we'll try to make this 1,584th podcast one to remember here on the betters box. So go ahead and take a look here beyond the box score and talk about some of the trade deadline chatter, some overreaction, underreaction moves that have already happened and all of that. And again, keep in mind that there are a lot of betting applications for this stuff. You know, you get a, a trade like a Joey Gallo to the Yankees move that winds up creating a big splash and the futures markets do kind of adjust. You know, the world series price came down, division price came down, pennant price came down. Is Gallo the missing piece? I don't know. There are a lot more problems other than just Joey Gallo with this team but he helps. He's a great defensive outfielder, great power producer, does walk a lot. Yeah, he strikes out and has a low average. And I know people are kind of complaining about that, but Joey Gallo is a really, really good player and somebody that does help this Yankees roster. So, you know, the prices go down in the futures market. Do I think that they'll make a run? It's possible. I don't know, but you know, again, you want to look for the impact that these things are going to have, you know, Gallo at home with that short porch at Yankee stadium you probably do see their totals adjust a little bit, maybe up a half run, maybe up a little bit of juice team totals, maybe adjust a little bit, stuff like that. These are things that, you know, when they grab headlines, they create this narrative. They create this perception out there in the betting markets. And you have to try and figure out, is this real? Is this legit? Is this something that seems right? Or does the value wind up being on the other side? So with all of those big trades, those are things that you absolutely want to try to pay attention to here. Starling Marte goes to Oakland. Really interesting baseball deal here. You know, we saw the Marlins make an interesting baseball deal last year, getting Jazz Chisholm in exchange for Zach Gallon. Here they trade a rental in Starling Marte and get a piece that they believe will either be a power reliever for them or maybe a starting pitcher and Jesus Lazardo from the A's. And, you know, the one thing I tweeted about this deal is that Lazardo has had a pretty big spin rate decrease since that foreign substance crackdown in early June. And he's gone down to AAA and not pitched very well. And it all, it makes me wonder, you know, and I see this a lot with a guy like James Karinchak for the Indians, who's had a really big spin rate decrease here himself. It makes me wonder, how are teams evaluating these guys? You know, especially when you think about a really smart team like Oakland, not to say that the Marlins are not smart or anything like that, But the A's are obviously very cognizant of their situation. They don't have a big payroll. And the idea of giving up a talent like Lazardo with a lot of contract control is pretty interesting to me. So it makes me wonder here, is there something that they're concerned about? And will other teams 
that look a lot at the metrics and the analytics. Will other teams kind of start evaluating their own pieces in that same way? Do the Indians try to maybe capitalize on whatever value is left of Karen Shack this offseason or something like that? You know, what will these teams do? What do the White Sox do with a Dylan Cease? You know, a big spin rate drop for him. We saw Tyler Anderson get traded to the Mariners. They're apparently not worried about it. But it does make me wonder, you know, what kind of happens as we go forward, not just over the next couple of days, but just in general here with these pitchers and their decreased spin rates. The A's here getting Marte is a really big help. I mean, he's having a career offensive year. He's a very good defensive outfielder. These are things that help them inch closer, I think, to locking up that second wild card spot. And I do think that they ultimately do that. But the cost of doing business was what really caught everybody's eye here with Lazardo going back to South Beach and a kid who grew up in South Florida. So I'm sure that's something he's pretty happy about. The trade that got a lot of run here was this Astros Mariners deal. Kendall Graveman goes from the Mariners along with Rafael Montero, who had been DFA'd to the Astros for Abraham Toro and Joe Smith. And what made headlines about this deal is that the Mariners were very upset about this trade. You know, they had just had that big come from behind win against Houston on Monday, and then they trade Graveman on Tuesday when it looks like they're right there in the thick of things for the wild card race. And this is something that's really interesting to me because from a baseball standpoint, and I've talked about this a ton, the Mariners don't belong in that race. I mean, they're way overachieving in one run games. They're way overachieving with men in scoring positions, so on and so forth. But from a baseball standpoint, you know, you try to capitalize on these opportunities you have to make the playoffs. But also for Jerry DePoto, who does make a ton of trades, by the way, he got a guy in Toro that he thinks, and that seemingly scouts around the league think, can be an average or better third baseman. And with Kyle Seeger's contract coming off the books here, they had to replace him. They, they, you know, they don't have a third baseman coming up through the system. They've got some outfielders coming up for sure. They didn't have a third baseman in the system that they felt could be an everyday player. Kendall Graveman was gone at the end of the season. So this is a really interesting deal because you've got a Seattle team that, you know, is on paper in the hunt and they feel like they can be a playoff team. They make this trade. The players are furious. DePoto says that, you know, it's part of just a bigger process, a bigger package. I don't know if that's the case or not, but look, I mean, you've got an everyday player with contract control for a rental relief pitcher. I think it's actually a pretty good deal for Seattle, to be totally honest with you. And of course, it's easy for me because, you know, I am the kind of person that has looked at Seattle and kind of thrown cold water on their season here to this point. But what we have seen is Seattle lose a couple of games since that deal. And they did pick up Tyler Anderson, but that wasn't really something that moved the needle for them. Houston is a very good team. Maybe that's just the reason why they lost, but you know, there, this was one of those deals that did throw the roster for a loop. And this can be a thing that happens here at the trade deadline with players going and coming and all of that. And obviously here, you know by now, listening to this show, and you know maybe you already know the outcome of the game, but the Cubs did not play Anthony Rizzo or Chris Bryant in today's game. And you know that's something that's very uncomfortable for a lot of these teams here, the business of baseball, and also probably everyone just a little bit more emotional post-COVID, you know, keeping those friends close and all of that. So 
I guess not post COVID as it's, you know, coming back, coming back around major league baseball and across the country. But, you know, I think it is one of those things where maybe players are a little bit more affected than, than they would have been at past trade deadlines. So that may be something that you want to watch here as we head into the weekend. The Astros also in a separate deal got Yimi Garcia from the Marlins. Hard thrower. They've improved the bullpen quite a bit here this week with Graveman and Garcia. And that was the weak spot of that Astros team. And as I mentioned, Tyler Anderson going to the Mariners here. I think he'll be fine pitching at home. Eh, maybe he'll be fine on the road too. But that's a guy at home I think will be in pretty good shape. So you know, we'll see how he's priced in his first start with Seattle. But I do think at home, Tyler Anderson should be pretty good. Uh, the Brewers. Did not get Joey Gallo, as I had hoped, but they did pick up Eduardo Escobar. Super versatile player, switch hitter, good power. He's hit 22 home runs this year. Nice little pickup for them. Didn't seem like the cost was too high for Eduardo Escobar. That's a nice grab. And again, as I said, kind of gives them a little bit more versatility. Can play a lot of different positions, is a switch hitter, and all of that. The Reds revamped their bullpen as well. Luis Sessa from the Yankees. Justin Wilson also from the Yankees. Michael Givens from the Colorado Rockies. So the Reds trying to build up that bullpen a little bit. I don't think they're in the hunt necessarily for that central division, but not a bad idea for them to try and revamp that bullpen a little bit, give themselves some more of a chance. The Guardians, or the Indians as they still are, traded Cesar Hernandez this morning to Chicago in exchange for a double-A pitcher, Connor Pilkington, Look, the White Sox wanted an upgraded second base. I think a lot of people believe that Cesar Hernandez was maybe the best hitting second baseman out there that was actually attainable for a reasonable cost. Probably not a bad idea for them. Great idea for the Indians because they can now play Andres Jimenez every day at second base or maybe move around Owen Miller, maybe Tyler Freeman, something like that. There was no reason for the Indians to give plate appearances to Hernandez the rest of the way. Shane Bieber and Aaron Savale still don't seem all that close to being back. So this will be viewed as waving the white flag for the Indians. And I think they had probably done that already, but this opens up a spot for them to play a younger, more exciting player at that second base position. And that's what teams in the Indians spot should do. So, you know, it's always interesting as people go crazy when trades are completed within the division and all of that. I still think Trevor's story to the giants makes a ton of sense, Uh, but you know, Hey, we've seen some dominoes fall here and a lot of dominoes left to fall. Relief pitcher arms, as I mentioned, uh, you know, very prominent right now. Teams are prioritizing depth. We'll see Max Scherzer probably get dealt. Jose Barrios could go. Trey Turner could go. Kyle Schwarber, uh, Bryant, Rizzo. Baez is in the lineup today, so we'll see what happens with that. But more pen arms, more rentals, starting pitchers, all that. Lots more movement likely to happen. Maybe I'll have some thoughts in the article over at ATS.io once this trade deadline dust does actually settle. Something I want to take a look at here on today's show, year-over-year home-and-away splits from a weighted-on-base average standpoint. So that's WOBA, of course, a stat that you know quite extensively now from listening to the show. And as I was kind of thinking about this for this season, it really seems like the home-road splits are bigger than usual here. So I thought, well, let's go ahead and look at that. So dating back to 2010, just a very arbitrary number there, the home WOBA 330, road WOBA 312. So an 18-point difference in 2010, 12-point difference in 2011, 14-point difference in 2012, only an 8-point difference in 2013, 12 and 14, 15 and 15, 11 in 2016, 14-point difference in 2017, 8-point difference in 2018, 8-point difference in 2019, 
and then a 16-point difference in 2020 and 2021. Now, obviously, playing on the road last year sucked. Guys couldn't do anything. They had no freedom, no flexibility, no anything like that. You went, you played baseball, you came home. That was it. That was pretty much all you could do. This year kind of started that way. Then as teams reached vaccination thresholds, they got some more freedom. Now, of course, we'll see what happens as COVID seems to be making uh, another trip around the country here and a trip around Major League Baseball as well. But the last two years, that WOBA gap, 16 points, the largest since 2010. And I'm wondering why. You know, is it sustainable? I don't know. I know that last year was very strange. The walk rate has been much higher the last two seasons at home than it was in previous seasons. Obviously, strikeout rate always lower at home than on the road. Teams have that advantage of the park factor. You know, this isn't like football where every stadium is the same 100 yards and all of that. Maybe the wind is a little bit different, so on and so forth. But here, all these ballparks are created differently. So teams are able to build their lineups and their pitching staffs towards the strength of their home ballparks because, you know, look, you play 81 of your 162 games there. So home performance is always going to be better than road performance. But it kind of makes me wonder, you know, what's going on here over the last two years? I mean, is there more cheating and sign stealing? You know, we know there's greater technology, you know, and the thing about the Astros was everybody got bent about it, deservedly so. But once all of that kind of settled down, it became, well, you know what? Everybody was doing it. The Astros just got caught. So, you know, is that possibly the reason why we've got uh, some bigger gaps in in weighted on base average here over the last couple of years? Just better technology, better ways of getting signs, all of that, possibly. I think a lot of it just has to do with the environment, particularly last year, the environment of going out on the road and, and how challenging that is and, you know, all of that. Keep in mind, I mean, this is tied for the second lowest weighted on base average on the road in this sample size dating back to 2010. So maybe teams are just maximizing those home park factor advantages a little bit more. But one of the reasons why I wanted to do this, you know, try and set up some things long-term for you here on the show is just to think about, you know, how important home field park factors actually are. And, And the fact that teams are able to build based on what gives them competitive advantages at home. So that's not something that will change as we go forward here. It's something that could even become more magnified, you know, especially now with this substance crackdown and all of that. So just something for you to keep in mind here over the long term. Some random stats I found interesting while uh, sort of preparing for today's show here. So the top four teams in plate appearances with men in scoring position are the Dodgers, Padres, Astros, and Red Sox. That is not a random stat. There's nothing interesting about that. Those are four really good offenses. Top four in plate appearances with men in scoring position. In plate appearances. Dodgers, Padres, Astros, Red Sox. No surprise, right? Makes sense. You know who's number five in plate appearances with a runner in scoring position? The Arizona freaking Diamondbacks. They have the fifth most plate appearances with a runner in scoring position. And they are pathetic this season, as we all know. They rank 27th in weighted on base average with a man in scoring position. And it's so ridiculous to me that they're fifth. Dodgers, Padres, Astros, Red Sox, then the Diamondbacks, followed by the Rays, Brewers, White Sox, Reds, and Phillies to round out the top 10. Pick out the one that doesn't belong. That would be the Arizona Diamondbacks. So they've had plenty of chances 
they just have not cashed in on them at all whatsoever, had some injuries and, and all of that. But that is a fascinating stat. They can actually get guys in scoring position and just do absolutely nothing with them. Also interesting here, as the Giants and the Dodgers wrap up their series today, Dodgers are number one in plate appearances and WOBA with men in scoring position. The Giants are 16th in number of plate appearances with a runner in scoring position, and they're 13th in WOBA. So the fact the Giants are ahead of the Dodgers right now, even though the Dodgers offensively are giving themselves the best chance at scoring runs and are cashing in those opportunities is quite fascinating to me. If the Giants do improve their offense, and I think that they can, and they do improve their offense in these high leverage spots, and I think that they can, that is a very positive development for them as we go forward here. Seattle still fourth and weighted on base average with men in scoring position, and they're 23 and eight in one run games. I don't have to tell you this. You already know this stuff. As we go forward here, I think that they do regress. They should. Statistically, they should. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're that one year outlier. I don't know, but they're not a top five offense in any category except for with runners in scoring position. So there's that. Also, the Angels, sixth in Woba with men in scoring position. 17 and nine in one run games. So they've been very good in one run games, even though their bullpen is not particularly good. So Seattle and the angels, two teams that are clear overachievers here for this season. And by the way, the angels just put Jared Walsh on the IL. That's a big loss for them. Otani really carrying that offense. Now trout still not back Rendon's been hurt basically all year. The angels probably fall off the pace here. And I think relatively quickly at that, So that's something you may want to watch here with Los Angeles as we go forward. How about this stat? Number of playoff teams in negative defensive runs saved as calculated by Baseball Info Solutions and posted over at Fangraphs. One of them, one of the 10 are negative in defensive runs saved. That is the Oakland A's. With that being said, the A's are sixth in the Fangraphs all-encompassing defensive metric. So that speaks to how difficult it is to find reliable defensive stats, but also that Oakland is a negative in defensive run save, but not that bad of a defensive team. So basically all 10 playoff teams are above average defensively. The one team with a negative DEF metric, which is that defensive runs, fielding runs above average metric over at Fangraphs, is the Padres. So basically all 10 playoff teams right now are above average defensive teams. The Padres don't grade well in certain metrics, kind of drags them down. But defense is really, really important. And I think that if this substance crackdown continues, defense becomes even more important as we go forward here. So it's not incorporated into the line. It's not incorporated into season win totals. But one thing that I will focus on as we go forward here. I want to back good defensive teams. You think about some of these good offensive teams. The Angels are a great offensive team. They are a pathetic defensive team. As a result, they're not a playoff team. And they'll probably finish below 500 again. You've got to find teams that play good defense. And it can be tough to do at times. But you think about the Rays, for example. I mean, the Rays are such a good defensive team year in and year out. That's One of the many reasons why they're competitive. Number one team in defensive runs saved this year, the New York Mets. The Mets have had a thousand injuries this year. They still lead that division. They don't have a good offense on paper. Well, statistically anyway. But they're a great defensive team this year. 
And so they've been able to overachieve. Defense matters, and it's not factored into the equation enough from a betting standpoint. So that's one takeaway I hope you keep from this show to try and handicap defense in baseball. And in particular, if strikeouts are going to go down, this will be even more important as we go forward. So along with that major takeaway from the show, I'll talk about a couple of other ones here. Just some things for you to remember long-term. I don't know what my future holds from a content standpoint. And as I said, when the time is right, I will talk about what my next landing spot is and you know, kind of go from there. But some big takeaways from these betters box shows that we've had. And as I talked about at the top, thanking everybody for being open-minded about analytics and about all the stats that are out there. Analytics really can be your friend. You know, I mean, you look at things like left on base percentage and BABIP for starting pitchers. You look for those regression indicators, whether they're positive or negative. You look for the park adjusted numbers. I just talked about the importance of home road splits, the importance of playing to your park factor. You talk about that, you know, use a stat like WOBA over batting average or on base percentage. Use the splits data that's out there. You know, the platoon splits, all kinds of good stuff. Analytics are your friend. There's a lot of good information you can take. And it's not even just game by game betting, you know, strikeout props and all those different types of things. Look, I I believe in the numbers. I I believe in what's there in front of me and how to interpret that data. And I think over the years of doing the betters box here, if you've been a regular listener of the show, you've got a good understanding for how to use and apply that data as well. So I think that's a really big takeaway to carry with you from this show. Keep an eye on the betting markets. You know, see which pitchers are taking money. See which pitchers aren't. Let the quant crowd be your guide. You know, if you're not as comfortable with studying the analytics, you know, the same pitchers get bet on pretty regularly. The same pitchers get bet against pretty regularly. Teams get bet on at home different than they do on the road. Watch the betting markets. Let them be a guide to kind of show you the things that you want to pay attention to, the things that are really important so that you can get out there and maybe get some closing line value. Or at a minimum, you know, find some teams and some pitchers that you want to back. You know, it's it's just as important to win a bet as it is to not lose a bet. So if you're able to be out there looking at the markets and seeing where money is coming in, and getting an understanding for all of that, it's really, really important for you. And finally, maybe saving the best for last year, you've got to shop around for the best prices. You've got to try and get the best of the number that you possibly can. A lot of people that are out there, you know, standing up on soapboxes in this business and all of that will sit there and tell you, oh, you've got to get the best number. You're not getting the best number. A few people in the world get the best number. Get the best number that you can when you're able to do your research, look at the market, and feel confident in your play. Don't get the worst of the number. Just get the best of the number that you can. And also be sure to have that ability to shop around for the best prices. Yeah, it can be tough to keep everything organized, have multiple accounts at different sports books and all of that, but it's really important. The difference between minus 110 and minus 120 is a winning bet once out of every hundred plays. And if you carry that over through your gambling career, you're going to find that it really does help your bottom line to be able to shop around for the best prices. It is critically important to do that. So make sure you get in the habit of doing that, not just with baseball, but with all sports. Get the best of the number that you can and make sure that you're shopping around to be able to get the best of the number 
that you can. Down the line segment here, we'll talk about some line moves that have happened throughout the week. This week's been a little bit of a mess. The trade deadline, rainouts, doubleheaders, postponements, COVID, all kinds of stuff going on around the Major League Baseball landscape. But some line moves that we have seen here. On Tuesday, we saw Phillies money on Matt Moore against Eric Fetty. Now, the Nationals did win this game, but Matt Moore had been bet against four starts in a row. To see him taking money is, again, something that I think is a really big tell out there in the marketplace. And like I said, the Phillies didn't win this game, but if nothing else, it says a lot about Eric Fetty going forward. And Eric Fetty is a guy that I have tried to fade a lot here on the Betters Box shows. On a guy I will try to fade a lot as we go forward here as well. But again, you look for those context clues out there that really do kind of stand out to you. Like, for example, the Giants taking money on Tuesday with Logan Webb against Julio Urias and the Dodgers. It seems like it's starting to set in now that the Giants are pretty much every bit as good as the Dodgers. And so we've seen over the last couple of series here, you know, we saw some underdog money hit the board on the Giants a couple times last week. Uh, We're seeing it here this week as well. The markets are finally starting to realize that the Giants are on par with the Dodgers. And that's something that we've kind of been screaming about here on the show. And I've been talking about on other shows for a while. So again, it's important to read those context clues in the betting market. Even if you don't have a bet on that game, you are going to find information based on how that game was bet. And those are things that can help you get a winner down the road or at a minimum, save you from picking up a losing ticket. The Yankees took some money with Jordan Montgomery against Shane McClanahan on Tuesday. That was a winner for them. Yankees also took some money on Wednesday. That was Nestor Cortez and Michael Waka. And then today, Ray's money. So we've seen a lot of Yankees support out there in the betting markets. Today, they get Garrett Cole on the mound, and we get Tampa Bay money. And again, I think those are really big things for you to start putting together this profile of how teams are being viewed in the market or how certain pitchers are being viewed in the market. And obviously, with the spin rate decrease and the substance crackdown, we know this already, but Garrett Cole is not being viewed in as high regard as he was previously. These are things you can pick up if you're following along with the betting markets. For example, Tigers money came in on Tuesday. The Tigers played great coming out of the break, kind of stubbed their toe a little bit and struggled, but people don't want to bet the Twins as a minus 200 favorite. You know, so we saw Tigers money on there and it did come through and the Tigers did win that one with Tyler Alexander there against Kenta Maeda. But also what that line tells us is that odds makers have a very high view of Kenta Maeda, who doesn't have great full season numbers, but has been better here of late. So again, just file these things away and remember them because they will help you down the line. Tuesday, we saw very heavy Lance McCullers money, and that was even before the trade of Kendall Graveman that really threw Seattle for a loop. So big money there against Chris Flexen. The Astros did win that game eight to six, probably should have played that one uh, with the Mariners kind of throwing all out of sorts there, but that was one with a big line move on McCullers against Flexen and the Mariners. We saw Adam Wainwright money on Tuesday on the road, mind you, against the Indians and Cal Quantrill. Wainwright, those big home road splits, but then he takes money in that game, speaks to the low projection of the Indians here. As we go forward, Chris Paddock took some money on Tuesday. That was for the Padres against James Caprellian and the A's. But then on Wednesday, we saw Sean Manaya money hit the board for the A's against Blake Snell. So the market right on both of those games as the Padres took money and won on Tuesday, A's took money and won on Wednesday. 
But what that says about Wednesday is I think it was partially a buy on Sean Maniah, who has pitched really well, but it was more of a sell of Blake Snell. You know, and Blake Snell, market confidence is really low on that guy. I remember when everybody skewered the Tampa Bay Rays for trading Blake Snell, pointing to the World Series and the Rays being cheap and all of that. They knew, man. They knew that they couldn't really trust Blake Snell. They had concerns about the medicals and all of that. Padres are kind of finding that out the hard way. And right now, this Padres team, they should probably pick up another starting pitcher or some bullpen reinforcements because, you know, they've gotten a lot of starts fewer than five innings here throughout the course of the season. So that's something that they definitely need to try to take a little bit of a look at here uh, in terms of, you know, what they do going forward. Lastly here, a very heavy fate of Garrett Richards once again on Wednesday. That was Robbie Ray for the Blue Jays. Blue Jays win that one 4-1. to Red Sox win the nightcap with Tanner Hoke against uh, Steven Matz. But another fade of Garrett Richards. If you want to fade Garrett Richards, do it early because that line is definitely going to take off. Got some red steam here with Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo out of the lineup for the Cubs. Not a big surprise. Played Luis Castillo. You read about that over at ATS.io. But by the time I get this show out, it'll be almost first pitch for that Reds and Cubs game. The Brewers are taking money tonight. That's Freddie Peralta against Chad Cool and the Pirates. Took the Brewers' run line. That's a play for tonight in the minus 120 range. Uh, the Brewers should win that game comfortably. The Pirates, pathetic offensively with Adam Frazier. Now they don't even have him. So that's a spot where I went ahead and laid that run line price with the Milwaukee Brewers. As I mentioned, the fade of Garrett Cole tonight, pretty interesting line move there. Carlos Rodon taking money against the Kansas City Royals. And another takeaway for you to remember from this show, aces are typically steamed up 15 to 20 cents. You know, so Rodon's an ace, playing a bad team and a bad starter. That's one that jumped up pretty quickly here uh, on the overnights. Lastly for Thursday, Red Sox taking a little bit of money here. That's Hunjin Ryu and Eduardo Rodriguez in that one. And Ryu's given up a lot of hard contact this year. The Red Sox were almost a play for me. Decided to stay off of it. Line's gone up a little bit now into the minus 125 range. But uh, Red Sox taking some money there with Eduardo Rodriguez, a big positive regression candidate on the mound. So weekend preview here. Obviously the trade deadline. Lots going to happen today. A lot's going to happen tomorrow. Could be a hangover for some selling teams. Very emotional times with that. I think if the Mariners don't get those trades as promised from Jerry DePoto, there could be a little bit of a hangover effect there with them. They could kind of tailspin a little bit here. They do start a tough road trip. They play Texas first, but then they go and play Tampa Bay. So they'll be a long way from home early on next week. Uh, Probably no issues with Texas, I wouldn't think. But when they get to Tampa Bay, a big step up in class there. Four series to talk about here on today's show. The Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. Tony Gonsal and Zach Gallen on Friday. Josiah Gray and Merrill Kelly on Saturday, if Kelly's not traded. Julio Urias and Caleb Smith coming up on Sunday. Gallen's solid. Kelly's been pitching well. Caleb Smith is left-handed. The Dodgers struggle with that. Do we get another hangover series out of the Dodgers after playing the Giants? You know, they didn't look the part really at home against Colorado last week and Uh, in that series after they played the Giants. Do we get another hangover here? I think it's a possibility. So I may, as hard as it is, take a look at the Diamondbacks here. Maybe a plus one and a half with Gallon or Kelly, something like that on Friday or Saturday. Uh, That may be something that I am taking a look at here for the weekend. The Giants don't get the opportunity 
to have a hangover like they did last weekend against the Pirates because they host the Houston Astros. Framber Valdez, Kevin Gaussman Friday, Zach Greinke, Alex Wood on Saturday, Luis Garcia and Logan Webb on Sunday. Astros with that new look bullpen, so we'll see how that does for them. Great first matchup here with Valdez and Gaussman. We saw Valdez take a lot of money early on in the season, but lately he's been bet against a little bit. So I'll be curious to see what happens with that line move there with Valdez and Gaussman on Friday. The Reds and the Mets, Sonny Gray and Carlos Carrasco on Friday. Wade Miley, Rich Hill Saturday. Vladimir Gutierrez and Marcus Stroman on Sunday. Stroman, a guy I'm looking to fade, but as we know, the Reds are not nearly as good on the road as they are at home. City Field has been very, very stingy this season. The Mets, one of the best defensive teams in baseball. So I am really interested to see what happens with this series. Carrasco's first start of the year. Rich Hill got bet against in his first Mets start last week. And then Stroman, good numbers, but a negative regression candidate. On the other hand, we've seen the Reds get faded a lot on the road. So I'll be curious to see what happens with the betting odds for this series. If they really move around at all, I don't necessarily know. But it's going to be fascinating to watch the market for those three games here for this weekend. And then lastly here, the Red Sox and the Rays. First place battle down at Tropicana Field. Martin Perez and Josh Fleming on Friday. Nate Uvalde, Ryan Yarborough Saturday. Nick Pavetta, Shane McClanahan on Sunday. The Red Sox are off on Monday. The Rays do host Seattle. So see what happens there with that. I would expect Nate Uvalde money on Saturday in that game against Ryan Yarborough. Maybe some under money as well. We could see Red Sox money on Friday too with Martin Perez. The Rays do not hit lefties well. That's why they went out and got Nelson Cruz. It's a really bad split for them, and they didn't look the part against Jordan Montgomery or Nestor Cortez here in this series against the Yankees. So that's definitely making the rounds around the gambling community that the Rays just can't hit lefties. So maybe we see a little bit of a line move on Boston here for Friday's game. But, you know, again, obviously uh, these are two very solid teams battling it out for first place. Tough offensive environment down at Tropicana Field. That usually benefits the Rays, but I think we could see some Red Sox money in the first two games here of this series from the bottom of my heart. Once again, thank you all. Thank you to each and every one of you, the people I've worked with on this show, the people that have listened to the show, the people I've worked with on the writing side. Uh, it's, it's been great. It's been fun, but I'm excited about the next chapter in my life. And I promise this won't be the last anybody hears from me. So I'll be able to announce here in probably a couple of weeks time, what my new move is when everything is all right. It makes sense to do that. But uh, thank you so much to everybody. I'll have the baseball article up on Friday and Saturday, and Saturday will be my last day over at ATS.io. So thank you so much for the love and respect. I greatly appreciate it. I couldn't have done this without any of you. Uh, It means the world to me to be able to have this kind of run. It's bittersweet to see it come to an end because, as I said, I'm excited about the future, but uh, definitely very nostalgic and very connected to the past here. So thank you so much to everybody. Really appreciate everything. And for the last time, remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.